consensual non-consent is like an inherently sort of postmodern or like meta fetish, <laughs> which is probably why I like it so much. Um, I'm a pomo homo for sure. <laughs> Well, we wanted to give you all a heads up that something funky happened with my microphone on this episode. So big apologies that it's going to sound, you know, not as good as we would like it to. But sometimes shit happens and shit happened this time. So sorry about that, everyone. Enjoy our episode. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to consensual non-consent. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I am joined by my dedicated co-host, Robin. How are you, Robin? I'm pretty good, Sarah. Pretty good. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. Is anything giving you a fuck yeah right now? Yeah. Um, you know, my brother's in town and... Ooh. He just moved back from New Zealand, where he was there for, I think, nine years. Oh, my gosh. Maybe short. I can't. I don't know how long he was there. But I already talked about this in the Thanksgiving podcast or the one after the Thanksgiving podcast, where I'm just really starting to reimagine my family. I've always been so isolationist mm -hmm. around my family. And I feel like mm -hmm. I just have so much more family than I thought. So it's really nice having him here. We're going to do a podcast with him. I can't wait. Spoiler alert. Um, we're a weird, kinky family. Not together, <laughs> but on our own individual basis. And um, I think it'll be, it'll be an interesting, fun uh, thing to see what he's, he's getting up to because he's doing some interesting things that relate to our podcasts. Yeah, I cannot wait. Yeah, you know, my brother from the exact same mother, he's an interesting guy. And uh, and it's just nice to have him around. He's just doing a casual visit for a couple of weeks. And, um, and he moved to Portland. So it's really nice to have him in relatively, especially to New Zealand, close proximity again. So yeah, fuck yeah to having a little more family in my life. Oh, that's so nice. I love that. And like, Right around the holidays, too. It's yeah. nice to have a good feeling about uh, having family around. Yeah. Well, I am so excited for our guest today as well. Uh, Tina Horn is joining us. Tina is the host and producer of Why Are People Into That, the podcast. And I think maybe there's a book coming out soon. Yes, I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, we'll ask her about that. She's also the writer and creator of the sci-fi sex rebel comic book series called SFSX, Safe Sex. And she's a writer. She writes for Rolling Stone. And uh, she's uh, she identifies as a diehard queer punk. Yeah. And a true karaoke believer. So, and she's a friend of ours. Yes, I love Tina. So this is going to be a really good one. I have to admit, though, I'm a little nervous about our topic. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a um, it's a hard topic to to really discuss because there can be a lot of feelings around this sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I trust like I trust that we are in such good hands with Tina. This would almost in some ways be like a season two topic in my mind mm. of like, let's lay the foundation before we get into total power exchange, consensual non-consent play, you know, but I, I do really trust that with Tina, we can handle it with care. And I, you know, I have some questions too about even kind of how you do that in practice yeah but I'm just yeah I just think I want to name that this topic makes me a little I have some tightness in my body I feel some tightness in my body we're gonna be okay but for listeners out there just we're gonna give a trigger warning about the subject matter here we are talking about about consent but consensually acting out some forced ideas or within play or sometimes it could be coercion, things like that. We are in very good hands with Tina. She's a very experienced educator. Very experienced and very deeply kind person. Yes. Just know that this topic will be handled with kindness and love and respect for the diversity of fantasies that we might all have. So respect and love towards what your triggers may be, and also respect and love towards what your deep, dark fantasies might be. Yeah. And just as always, I think everyone just please take care of yourselves. If this yes. is one that you need to sit out. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Please take care of yourself. Yeah. If you're feeling worried, it's okay. Come, We'll be there for you next week. But if you're feeling like your interest is peaked, please stay tuned. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's bring Tina on. Okay. Hi, Tina. Hello, hello. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, uh, we had an experience together recently, Tina, that I just wanted to share. So we were at cruise together. Yes. I mean, we didn't go together, but we were there at the same time and hanging out and uh, you were cruising each other. We cruised up on each other. You cruised me. You were soliciting spankings, which I said, yes. I am solicitous, especially when I'm, yeah, at the leather bar. (laughs) And uh, you gave me the best goddamn spanking I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. Having been a pro dom, I felt like I was in such capable professional, kind, caring hands, literally. And it was also a, I've been doing so much somatic therapy work. It felt like Mm. a somatic experience. I felt, you know, invigorated afterwards. I felt cared for. And I felt like truly like my nervous system was calmed down. And I realized this whole like back and forth, one hand to the other, kind of Mm. I think it's like really what all that EMDR stuff is about and it made me think about Mm -hmm. just how therapeutic impact play can be and how kind it can be so I just wanted to thank you publicly for that public spanking you gave me well thank you for buttering my toast Mm -hmm. uh that's a great that's a great way to put a smile in my podcast voice <laughs> while we're getting started as if I was not already smiling to be here with the two of you and all of your listeners. 
Um, but thank you. And, you know, I, you know, the thing about BDSM at its best is that you're running a circuit, right? And even in a place that's consensually uh, public or semi-public, like a leather bar, where then you're, everybody there is sort of implicitly consenting within reason to there being a certain amount of play going on, a certain amount of exhibitionism going on, a certain amount of like fetishism going on and cruising going on and being able to, you know, run like a spanking quote unquote booth, which is just like, you know, uh, like a leather horse in the corner by like the recycling bin. Right. But yeah, you know, and I have been because of the pandemic and because of how frankly how hard I've been working on various projects I think I've actually been really in my head about BDSM and kink it's still like a huge part of my life every day but like I just turned in like the first draft of like an 8,000 word essay that is going to be a chapter of the book that I'm working on to, to my editor and it's about spanking and sadomasochism and pain play and you know i'm very lucky and happy with the uh amount of sex and play in my life but because of the pandemic this has sort of been like the least extroverted time of my life in a, in a kink way and so being able to go to the eagle and like yeah have a, a little spanking booth set up and like walk around and have this sort of you know it's like being like the grill master where you're yeah. like do you want a burger <laughs> I've got the equipment to make you you know or a veggie burger or whatever you want and so it was nice to have more than nice it was actually like yeah nice is much too mild a word it was also therapeutic and invigorating for me to be able to have that embodied experience and like it's a reminder that in sadomasochism, in exhibitionism and voyeurism, in like whatever your kink or fetish is, having people who are, you know, enthusiastically consenting to run that circuit with you, there's nothing like it. You yeah. know, uh, so solo play is very important and imagination is important and porn is important. I, you know, I let books books about and reading about and talking about like what we're doing right now like talking about sex is so great but yeah also it sure is nice to put your hands on somebody yeah. who wants your hands on them well for me going to cruise has been my return to society return to community in a way yeah it's so I mean I live very close to that place and um it but it's just such a warm, welcoming community feel, like to feel comfortable being spanked at a bar. That's yeah. really the only night, the only bar that I would feel comfortable at that at this point, because you feel really held in your queerness in that space, yeah. you know. It feels silly to me now to put you through our rapid fire questions because I feel like we really warmed up that conversation. But I, I have to ask because... I I want to know the answer to these questions. Me too. Um, so and I'm I'm jumping in. <laughs> uh, what was the last podcast you listened to? Oh, um, I have a voracious podcast appetite, and like in the past 24 hours, I listened to the latest episode of Yo Is This Racist, a, a show that mm. I highly recommend um, for anybody. 
Um, it's both funny and useful. <laughs> and um, I have been listening to, uh, before we got on mic, I was mentioning that I just got hired to write a piece about sex work representation in White Lotus. So I've been listening to um, my various pop culture podcasts that mm. are sort of my like comfort food uh part of like comfort food part of my diet so all these like theories about the upcoming final episode of white lotus i really I, there's something about that like sort of light conversational cultural criticism that i find really soothing so yeah, I, I, yeah i've been doing i've been doing a lot of that right <laughs> <laughs> what's the last picture on your phone is it a butt it well uh so it's a representation of a butt it is the tattoo that i got yesterday <laughs> i got a tattoo of a tomla finland a, this continuing i'm just being really on brand today um yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i got a tattoo of a tomla finland illustration i've actually wanted a tomla finland tattoo for a long time but i've been trying to find the right one and i came across this illustration that he did of two people the sort of people that Tama Finland is known to draw uh, <laughs> but they're they're hanging out and reading together and one of them is like reading a book propped up on the other's naked butt mm -hmm. so I got that on my die yesterday so that is and I took a picture of it so I can yeah. show people we always learn so much about people from this question who was your first celebrity crush you will learn a lot about me from from this <laughs> because i am classic bisexual uh born in the early 80s in the sense that my first celebrity crush was equal parts Mulder and scully so equal parts mm -hmm. david duchovny and jillian anderson like my my like sexual obsession with them was like always matched yeah so i spent most of the my adolescence in the 90s being like this is telling me something and it's what a satisfying show for you it was very satisfying yeah you know this was also the age of glossy magazines and mm -hmm. x-files was very popular when it was originally airing and you know you had to wait every week for a new episode and then you had to wait all summer for a new season so there were just so many photo shoots in like Rolling Stone and Spin and even the sort of like uh, the more like tabloids like Us Weekly style magazines just so anytime I went to a bookstore or a grocery store if there was any photo shoot with David Duchovny and or Jillian Anderson I had to bring it home and then make a collage on my wall. I was about to ask was it all over your wall? Did you make out with any of those pictures? I, I, I didn't make out with the pictures, but I definitely stared at them a lot. Mm -hmm. But besides that, the other thing that I really, it was very formative for me about X-Files, the conceit of the kind of like monster of the week, like supernatural allegory thing has always really yeah. stuck with me to the point that even to this day, like I teach classes on like monster sex and it's like less about, how, I mean, we do talk about like, how can you, you know, I mean, there are real life monsters and what does it mean to be like to have complicated desirous feelings about um, real life monstrosity, but, but then also what's erotic about vampires? What's erotic about werewolves? What's erotic about sea creatures? What's erotic about tentacles? What's erotic about uh, cannibals? Like all of these different things. So I feel like, x-files and definitely also buffy the vampire slayer which i also mm -hmm. watched when it was originally on um 
had like a a profound influence on me and to sort of even make it more about sex i i because this is a sex podcast weirdness and kinkiness goes really well in terms of personality with people who think in metaphor and allegory yeah and like partially because you like kind of have to you like live in a world where you know as you're developing you know that you're different so you're you know the classic thing about like queers loving opera even though they're like aggressively heterosexual right. it's like the the, um, the emotions are like so extreme they're almost supernatural and that that's like that's you know part of the theory of like like why queers love opera and melodrama and musical theater right it's like an expression of something that like society and culture is not allowing you to express and i feel that way about monstrosity i love that it's still how I think about sex and pleasure and like other erotic experiences like kinky experiences and, and like community and culture and politics as well. When kink is, it is such a creative endeavor. Totally. You know, and, and it is so much about storytelling. I love that connection. What was your first mode of masturbation? I'm like a hand gal to the point that it actually took me a really long time to get into vibrators i was definitely getting myself off from really early i definitely remember some like pillow humping and i there was a, a hot tub one particular hot tub jet that was sort of like <laughs> just fine <laughs> you know this this was like a hot tub that i had like private access to i wasn't like you know uh doing it in front of anyone how old yeah like young like five <laughs> like, like no 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 like teens like teens. that was much more a Hitachi orgasm or a magic wand orgasm right. where it's I think that kind of got me in touch with the like I need release or the catharsis or the sort of like a uh, reset so I need like a quick method of releasing like, happiness hormones endorphins etc so that I can like continue with whatever I was doing you feel like you learned that when you were a teen I guess so it's definitely like a big part of my like my solo sex life is motivated in the way that I'm motivated to exercise. Like I don't exercise to like have a particular kind of body. I exercise for stress relief. Yeah. I mean, everything I know about the nervous system, I know from kink and BDSM. So it's like I, I'm like fully aware of what exercise or masturbation like does for my nervous system. So if I need to like take a break in the middle of a writing day and jerk off or go for a run and then like I'm fully aware that then when I'm like sitting back down to like have my body be in stasis while my mind and my hands are at work it gives me that like jolt of of again like embodiment yeah I don't know I guess it's nice to not have to depend on anybody else for that good feeling useful feeling I so relate to everything you are describing I did not learn that as a teen. Like, I did a lot of orgasm seeking as a tool for intimacy mm -hmm. with other people. Mm -hmm. And it was not until my 30s that both the exercise and the orgasm, like solo orgasm, clicked in that in exactly what you're describing. And I was like, where, what, how did, why didn't it take you this long to realize this? I mean, because we're, I mean, the answer to that is because we're not taught to have that relationship to our own power i appreciate this conversation because i feel like i'm slow this 
idea is slowly starting to dawn on me mm. and y'all are really pushing the idea over the edge for me. I think I'm going right to reorganize my ideas around even the point of doing those embodiment practices of exercise and, and masturbation. I will say the, the whole reason why we're asking you so much about what age you were is mm. almost everyone seems to have started that we've interviewed so far seems to have started um, prepubescent with their masturbation. And I was like 13 or something. And I've been feeling really lonely. <laughs> and that, and I'm so glad you were a teen also. I'm like, what? I was like, I've missed out on a decade of masturbation. Like everybody else was doing it at five. And well, I, I mean, I definitely, I mean, if we're going to go there and, and, and talk about our, like uh, our own histories, I definitely was like, curious about my own body and like for whatever reason very shameless about being like what does this do um from a very young like prepubescent age and I have memories of being told that the way that I was touching myself was not appropriate but it was not mm -hmm. like vigorously getting myself off or like penetrating myself or anything it was just more kind of like this is puffy. <laughs> That's great. I have parent friends who have shared with me the conversations they've had about like, it's okay for you to do that in the privacy of your room. And like, here's why in like a developmentally appropriate way of being able to mm -hmm. talk about that. And I just, I think that that can have a really profound effect on people. Not only the absence of finger wagging like reflexive shame also which as we all know can be like very counterproductive from like whatever its intention is like shame can be a place where desire can breed and that is yeah. fine as long as it has the right ecosystem right <laughs> but like if even in that like nascent stage uh, like not just the absence of of acute shame but also I think that that's a great lesson for anybody of any gender of any kind of sexual interest to be like, your desire is fine. Your pleasure is fine. Your like relationship to yourself and that pleasure and your imagination is fine. And that doesn't mean that it's fine to do it everywhere in front of everyone. Right. That's a, that's a really good lesson because also th this is part of the, the ongoing thing that we're trying to figure out with like sex positivity, right? Like sex positivity doesn't just mean that you can do whatever you want whenever you want. And it, it like was never intended to mean that. But um, I think that that kind of like judgment and critical awareness is something that I would like to see in sort of the next phase of how we're like constructing sex culture and sexual ideology like in our culture because i think that people are so still stuck in this like moral imperialism of like we need to decide what is good and what is bad and like you know let like nietzsche we can be beyond good and evil <laughs> and the question comes down to like you have sex positivity but consent is such mm -hmm. it is the real defining factor of how to engage in sex positively totally Ex except that except as we all know consent is not 
a very well-defined factor. Yes. And it, it, it like by its nature, it can't be. Right. And, you know, that's that's a, that's something else that we're trying to figure out how to create a consent positive culture and right. how to end rape culture or like, you know, let rape culture peter off and die. We have to like construct like a totally different ideological framework because I feel like we're kind of using the framework of the rape culture that we've inherited, which is ancient, right. makes sense that we're still working through it, that it is going to take more than like, you know, a year or a decade to to figure that out. Yeah, I feel, I've seen the conversation over my adult life go from consent being the absence of a no right. to now being an enthusiastic yes. But there's still so much wrapped up in that. Well, and I think we, we're already moving past enthusiastic yes to yeah. embodied yes. Ooh, mm. yeah. You can consent to something without being enthusiastic about it. That's true. Right. Actually, a lot of the spaces I think where growth happens is sort of in that discomfort zone. Totally. And sometimes you're actively choosing to be in that discomfort zone. Yes. And just because it's slightly uncomfortable doesn't mean that you're not consenting to it. And I think this is... Like so interesting that you led us to this path of a conversation around consent because because I think this is what we're so interested in talking to you about today because your work over the last few years has really centered some topics around sexuality that I think you know even I have some nervousness around discussing publicly. Because, you know, it brings up a lot of discomfort, trauma, all of the flaws in this system that we live in, right? But like, perhaps this experience that we've collectively gone through of actually living through the dystopian reality of a global pandemic is getting people a little bit more ready. You're ready to have some conversations that I think are really uh, revolutionary, innovative when it comes to consent, sexuality, and um, you've been teaching a lot about consensual non-consents. Mm-hmm. And I am really curious to hear how you got to that focus. And just for listeners who don't know what that means. I'll tell you another category of person who is really hungry to talk about consensual non-consent is everyone (laughs) put broadly because i pitched consensual non-consent um to one of the platforms that i've um been teaching on online since the beginning of the pandemic um which is passionel which is a place based in philly like sex positive retail store and like education uh hub i appreciated that they were like let's go beyond blowjobs 101, which like, hey, blowjobs 101, great. Everybody, let's talk about how to give and get great head and how to make oral sex a fantastic part of your life. I love it. I love a beach. Don't get me wrong. But, (laughs) you know, sometimes there's a little bit of like a supply and demand thing where it's like, hey, if if quote unquote edgier topics or like less familiar topics are being offered, are people going to show up for them? And people are really evidently very hungry to talk about consensual non-consent. So what is consensual non-consent? It's 
a sort of inherently paradoxical, uh, ironic, and uh, a conundrum wrapped in a mystery, you know, and like a kind of clunky term, which we can abbreviate as CNC, that I think is has emerged as a good faith effort to describe a kind of play that a lot of people are interested in. And so consensual non-consent or CNC could manifest as an all-out rape fantasy, right? So I think that that's what a lot of people think of when they think of consensual non-consent is like, I have a fantasy of being raped. I have a fantasy of, you know, ravishing someone. Uh, I want to play that out consensually with a partner. So we're going to use the communication tenets of BDSM, negotiation, interesting communication, like safe words, um, and like pain scales of one to 10 and, you know, intensity scales of one to 10 and also aftercare, which I like to call the three act structure of, of BDSM, yeah. uh, the before, during and after communication. So we're going to use those things so that we can have, we can live out the, an experience of this ravishment fantasy, if you will, that you know, in order to explore, I mean, for, for any reason, like in, in order to see what it's like to actually experience that, not just have the fantasy of it. Now, part of my pedagogy of what I teach is like, also like fantasy is great. I mean, we've been talking about masturbation and its many uses, like, you know, the imagination is, then the erotic imagination is a wonderful place and things tend to like go the way that you want them to, even if it's like, quote unquote, not the way you want them to. In a fantasy and, you know, there's like mm -hmm. less cleanup and it's safer sex and th things don't smell as weird um, in, in, in a fantasy. <laughs> Although, you know, sometimes weird smells is um, what you're after if you're me. But you know <laughs> what I mean. Um, less messy yeah. in every sense of the word. But then some people want to see what it's like to actually like have an embodied experience of that and to play it out in real life. Or, you know, one thing that's harder to do in solo play is sort of like the equivalent of tickling yourself, right? It's it's hard to scare yourself than it is to be like scared right. by someone else. So when it comes to any kind of play that involves fear as like a raw material that you're consensually playing with, you can, uh, we've all freaked ourselves out. <laughs> when, you, when, when you're playing with somebody, there's, uh, there's just more possibility of unpredictability and mystery and suspense again talking about like uh, tenets of storytelling but part of what I teach about in my CNC classes is that there are so many different manifestations of CNC beyond like you know the cat burglar that like climbs through the window and like has their way with you um, and like steals your jewels you know which isn't to diminish that that sounds great but you know any kind of physical or psychological use of force or coercion or inappropriateness. Um, some, you know, not all pain play has to involve an element of force or like doing this to someone like against their will. Like we were just talking about, like the spanking at the Eagle was very much a like, let's do this playful thing here. Almost like, would you like to dance? Right. Right. But a lot of pain play can involve like struggle and resistance, you know, and taking advantage of the idea of like, I'm not supposed to want this. And we can get into what like why are, you know, my, my podcast is called Why Are People Into That and the book I'm working on based on the podcast. 
is called why are people into that so i'm i'm always interested in in the in the why and the conceptual and like the psychological and um you know what do what do people get out of this and where does it come from and and is it okay if we don't know where it comes from uh which spoiler alert is yes like and it's okay for it just just to be quote unquote just to be fun or just to be entertaining like you don't need to identify that like one moment that like a bully stepped on you and now you have a trampling fetish you don't have to know the root of every desire that you have you 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 don't have to like i mean obviously i've like devoted my life to uh exploring the the why but i also think that it's really important for us to arrive at sort of a place of of grace it's really all about like why do you need that why to get meta for a second which i think that like consensual non-consent is like an inherently sort of postmodern or like meta fetish which is probably why i like it so much um i'm a pomo homo for sure <laughs> like ultimately you also have to ask yourself why am i asking myself why if the idea is so that i can have this explanation so that i can let go of whatever is keeping me from enjoying it then great i mean we can talk about like working as a professional dominatrix and like how many clients come in and they're like so this was the cartoon that i saw or like this was what this bully did to me or this is what happened like in in my life that is or this is or these are the circumstances of my life now are, are like leading me to want this and i'm like cool tell me that story that's great but also just like inherent entertainment curiosity fun like those are very good reasons to be into that and are usually at least in part the reason that people are into all of the sexual things that they're into yeah and i mean that can be like really great source material to draw upon oh, oh yeah oh that's another thing and exploit in those situations i will say i've had a couple experiences like one client in particular comes to mind where uh, he's very into humiliation and I saw him a bunch and just, you know, would tear him down verbally. Mm. But then one time afterwards, um, when the session was done, he was telling me uh, something around like how, you know, I'm right. He is really a piece of shit, hmm. you know, and it really crushed me. Mm. And I told him at the time I was like, I I was playing with you. Mm. I think you're a wonderful person and you deserve all the blah, 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 you know? Yeah. But even in that moment, it's like, I, I, I think I, that was the last time I saw him. I don't know if he never came back in because he didn't like me trying to build him back up, <laughs> but I felt uncomfortable with it at that point because it got it. It's like, there's so much to unpack in every person's mind and it's like, how how can you engage in consensual non-consent without reimagining someone's trauma, without glorifying violence or oppression or like white supremacy and misogyny, things like that? How do we know when we actually have like a true, what is true consent also, you know? Man, when we are, we're going to figure that out on this podcast. So oh, stay tuned. Finally. <laughs> Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. I am so glad that you asked about all of those things. I'm very devoted to prioritizing an exploration of like, are we continuing to perpetuate any anything oppressive, right? And you know, you brought up ex examples of like, does you know, does having a rape fantasy make me a 
bad feminist like uh if i want to do a scene that involves like sexual slavery or servitude like in what way am i perpetuating white supremacy like these are these are really important questions that we should be asking ourselves and i want to return to that i also wanted to just address something in your story that i think is very important so humiliation play even verbal humiliation play of like degrading someone calling them names calling them a piece of shit etc whatever that's totally a form of consensual non-consent right like mm -hmm. someone if someone is into being humiliated and there are an infinite number of ways to humiliate someone and if someone is either into humiliating people who like to be humiliated or is making themselves available to humiliate people in a transactional interaction like sex work like professional domination the context of the scene and the context of the transaction is incredibly important to the ethics of consensual non-consent right so like right. it, it is this is all about context and like bdsm is so beautiful and magical because it is sort of a formula for circumscribing a space like making a you know a circle of salt or chalk or whatever where like inside that space we're using our imaginations and saying up is down and yes is no right but like if you break the circle if you step outside of it then the rules that have been agreed uh, that you know that the players have agreed to is is now broken because you've stepped outside the circle right. so for example so i would say that your your client it's understandable that he might be processing like how real this this feels really real and actually i'm dealing with my own shame about like actually being a piece of shit um in my life like not just playing with those words as erotic material like in a scene with a pro dom the fact that you felt bad to me is a sign that he was bringing that cnc humiliation outside of the circle of the scene mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that you two had agreed to and is a, a, you know i would infer that part of the reason that you felt bad is that he's like flipping it and like interpreting what you're saying as real and sort of the um right. the contract the social contract between you is i will say these things to you because we know that there's a, a context of unreality of fantasy right to them and that you know and uh, like the public service announcement that i want to make about this is like tops need aftercare tops deserve negotiation tops deserve safe words like you know the three-act structure of of bdsm communication because like a top is consenting to be mean right like that's what like verbal humiliation is in or one version of it is like being fucking mean to someone but like if you're being mean for work, if you're being mean for a fee, if you're being mean in the context of a fantasy, and then someone's like, I actually think that you're mean, like, that is cruel to you. I mean, the thing that's not okay to me is the assumption that, like, if someone is willing to be mean in a scene or for money, then that means that they're mean and therefore, like, invulnerable. And, like, that to me, that is what consensual non-consent describes and helps us to understand and gives us language to to understand the difference between like what fantasy and reality to put it 
in as simple a way as I can think of. I, I appreciate this so much because, and this has happened multiple times on this podcast, but you just released a little bit of tension from my heart because I was taking that situation and seeing it as something that I did wrong. I should have been able to see in him that he wasn't able to process it in the way that I would like him to, I guess, or the way that I would feel comfortable with. But it's actually, you you just kind of reversed it for me to see that um, what he was doing was not consensual for me. And how different would it be like if I was, if we were playing a game where I was madly in love with him and then afterwards he thought, oh, you really do love me. That's such a good, that's such a good example. It is the same thing. And by the way, clients get confused about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. For real. <laughs> For real. You know, it's like, no, it's, we, that was a game we were playing and that's, that's, that was on him in a certain way. But at the same time, I, yeah, I, I don't know. There's certain people I'd want to hold with more kid gloves. Like if it was not necessarily that client situation, but it was, you know, someone that I really love um, and I'm wanting to really have a really meaningful CNC session with them. Well, this gets into one of the other things that I think that we uh, wanted your perspective on or to understand kind of how you approach this. In my view... A certain level of self-awareness is required. I mean, truly just so it exists in the world. <laughs> but, right. That would be that would be my queer dream, right? That we're not interacting with anybody who hasn't done some self-examination. But uh I think especially when we're talking about total power exchange. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious, like what degree of self-examination, self-awareness do you think is needed to actually be able to go into this kind of play and create a container and a context that is reasonable for everybody? I don't want to say like safe because I don't think that that's the right term, but that's uh, that's uh, intentional. Yeah. I'm always hesitant to sort of like patrol the boundaries of who can and should be allowed to do certain things um uh in general but especially when it comes to the thing that i like consider myself uh something of an expert in which, which is sexuality and bdsm but like i like i want everyone to have access to therapy and i want everyone i don't understand why not everyone wants to read as many <laughs> books about sex as I do but like I'm I'm definitely not going to say like you have to like do the required reading um uh before you stick it in me because also sometimes you know I, I also like stan a, a bimbo or a himbo or a thembo um <laughs> sometimes my like you know neuroses and tendency to um over think things uh has gotten in the way of my pleasure i just hope that we can continue to contribute to a culture that in that encourages that curiosity and then people can like make their own style and forge their own path through curiosity so that's the question of like everybody, but then a question in terms of like gauging compatibility with people that I would want to like be in sexual community with or sexual 
partnership with. I mean, I want to play with people with a certain amount of experience because like I've done my community service, you know, and like <laughs> if I'm like the more experienced person in the dynamic, I, I feel like I should be getting paid. So it's like, and especially if somebody is like, oh, like you've been in porn and I'm like, all right, you, <laughs> the first one's free. The first like drool, the first like drop of drool is free. And like, then you have to start paying. Like if you're getting off on like, because then I'm becoming like a canvas for their projections. Right. And that's a client relationship. You know, that's a service. Yeah. Like the emotional labor of like, holding space for people your fantasy doesn't make you fucked up it's okay or like the thing that i want you to do to me doesn't make you fucked up i just asked for it but the thing about desire that's so like twisted and thorny is that if we had this utopia if we could imagine a utopia of every interaction being consensual and also like everybody like great at making other people feel good i'm not sure if that's possible but i also i'm not one of those people that thinks like well we need shame and conflict in order to be interested in sex well i appreciate the redirect even that you did well, on my question because i think it kind of speaks to i mean uh maybe some inherent gatekeeping that might have been slightly baked into that question, you know? And then also just like this space that we're in when we're talking about BDSM in general, but certainly when you're playing in dynamics that involve total power exchange, that there is just so much nuance. And I think that like our brains, and I know that I am like I've got a Virgo rising, so I can really lean heavily on this, like, need to have, like, the answer. Ah, uh, yes. You know, and I feel like a lot of people approach thinking about BDSM in that way. And what I'm hearing in terms of how you are thinking about it, writing about it, working with it, embodying it in your play is that it has this much more kind of narrative storytelling creative like explosively creative quality which we don't actually necessarily know how to deal with that very well in our in how we've been socialized and in our culture yeah I'm, and a little bit in our hard wiring as humans yeah i mean and i mean who benefits from us thinking that there is a formula mm -hmm. to happiness like the, you know, capitalism. Every episode we talk about it. <laughs> Sarah, I wanted to I wanted to ask you what makes you nervous about this topic? Not to top from the bottom in your podcast, yeah. but Yeah. I think it's not like if you we were sitting around no mics, I have like I totally mm. relaxed in my body thinking into and I find it incredibly fascinating. Like I love the concept of total power exchange. I love thinking about my own fantasy world and critiquing it and breaking it down in my own mind about like, how do I feel about domination and like all the complicated elements of that as, you know, someone who's spent and socialized, you know, and all these things, right? 
partially that it's a little new for me to be having these conversations in such a public forum. Mm. But how do we take care of the people who are engaging in this conversation with us who are not necessarily like here in this little bubble with us? And like how you strike that balance of, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I guess I'm a people pleaser and a caretaker. So it's like, I'm always fearful when we get into these realms that can like bring up people's trauma. Like, is there a right way to do it? Are we going to do it the wrong way? That's what it is. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Do you think it comes down to consent again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that anyone that's going to come to the episode about the reverse saying fuck yeah to consensual non-consent is doing some self-care around whether they're making that choice, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, it's totally out of our control. Maybe it's also a control thing. Like, I don't have control. Oh, Oh, Sarah, it always comes down to control with Sarah. Cue Janet Jackson. Um, I often catch myself feeling like embarrassment about being a Pollyanna about negotiation and that like circumscribed space of BDSM that I was talking about where you know, if I observe or experience or if I like hear a secondhand story about people who really like to push the edges of consent to maybe the point where they like want to involve or get a rise out of other people in the play party, like through their scene, or they want to sort of like use the material of consent as as edge play right so edge play meaning like pushing the boundaries of um of experience uh psychological mm-hmm. or like sensational of uh, you know physical experience uh within sex and like i find myself being a little like tracy flick <laughs> about like well you can play you can play with all of that but like there has to be this context otherwise it's like not like what even are we doing yeah <laughs> But I'm also aware that obviously, like, this is, I think, something I've observed about human nature is like, yeah, you create a new ethics that comes from subcultures and the underground or that is, like, constructed in opposition to the status quo. But then it becomes a new dogma. (laughs) It becomes, like, a new rule book. And then, like, people are, I do think, naturally going to want to push those boundaries like you know the boundaries of this like world of enthusiastic consent or embodied consent that we're like trying to create in earnest um i think most people would agree even if it's not like a huge priority for them like ending rape culture let's let's do that yeah 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 creating a world in which like literal actual real world power imbalance does not favor uh, what does not favor white supremacy does not favor the patriarchy does not favor cis supremacy does not favor like heteronormativity uh you know the wealthy one percent et cetera et cetera all of these things you know i feel like i i'll meet people who clearly are like interested in being like as extreme as possible physically and psychologically and i find myself sort of like like yearning for that 
and then maybe even feeling candidly like feeling embarrassed like oh is my like like signature kink of like impact play that like make actually ultimately is like painful but like is cathartic and makes people feel good and feel good about themselves like am I just like like am I not like I, I'm dark. Uh-huh. <laughs> I grew up on the X Files. Is this like a level of imposter syndrome? Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like an imposter, but more like, um, I guess I wonder sometimes, like, if what I'm offering is realistic in the real world, or if it's just like consensually, like it sounds nice and good and kind. But part of the reason that I've devoted my life personally and professionally to BDSM is that I've seen firsthand for many, many years in many different kinds of environments, the power of like what it can do. And so I guess maybe I I get a little bit like attached to the reason that we can explore humiliation and physical pain and degradation and uh, rough sex and uh, you know I could go on and on and on like all of these things group sex all of these things is because of this like news counterculture agreement this like honor among thieves like outside the law like sort of sort of thing that, that we've like ag- sort of agreed to right <laughs> to go back to what I was saying before then like I don't want to be the person who is then saying in order to have these experiences you have to do xyz thing Otherwise, it's harm. Otherwise, it's abuse. Otherwise, it's actual violence. Like, I feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be in that position. Well, I feel like what you're actually doing is offering like another lens to look at it through. Because I I know from having some familiarity Mm. with your work, like you have a um, very friendly relationship with fantasy worlds. You know, like, I mean, you are truly an artist, a writer, and you, we're going to talk a little bit about your comic book in a second because you've created this whole uh, other world as well that's really immersive and cool. But I feel like some people think of CNC, total power exchange, rape fantasies as being inherently dark. Mm. And it's also what I think is this movement that's happening is that like just because it's kink doesn't right. even have to be black leather. You know, like you can you can be covered in glitter or, or like both out, um, <laughs> you know, in, in nature and with no implements at all. And, you know, all the things It can be all the things you're opening up possibilities of. Well, sure. You might have all this baggage around like how you feel about your rape fantasy, but also like what if you stick it on an alien planet and it is like tentacles of the the uh you know planet but are consuming you and then suddenly... oh, yeah getting fucked by a whole planet yeah wow. like it's just... what an honor <laughs> so I feel like that is something really like your lens is that really unique lens that suddenly explodes the entire fantasy and it can be so many other things so try to actually put this into a question how do you what you you have a comic book series but it's a super sex positive sci-fi dystopian book series how is this creative work that you do and this uh, kink 
sex positive culture making work that you like how are these two things in conversation with each other and meet each other and all that oh well i love this question my series which by the way is called safe sex or sfsx for short um it, which is a science fiction dystopian uh like sex rebel series you know my background is in the sex industry and then i started devoting a lot of my life to nonfiction writing journalism like reporting for rolling stone writing nonfiction books and also doing sex education and then podcasting with my podcast why are people into that um and then about five years ago comic book industry editor had listened to my podcast and was like looking for sort of new voices in the comic book field, which is unfortunately still, um, like many industries, uh, dominated by men and white men, straight white mm -hmm. cis men. Um, it's changing, but, uh, but so yeah, this editor was like hoping to be a part of changing that. And so I developed Safe Sex, the science fiction series, because somebody reached out and said, hey, the ideas in your nonfiction work might be interesting in comic book form and i happened to be a lifelong fan of comic books and science fiction and horror and like crime thrillers and all of that kind of stuff so yeah i mean i basically like learned on the job how to write fiction and how to write a comic and at first a lot of it was about like taking a lot of the conceptual and political content of my nonfiction writing and then like dramatizing it in this you know dystopian world that that i built and these character arcs and the, all of their relationships and everything like that and because of course the heroes in this like sex repressed dystopia are sex workers and queers and perverts and sluts <laughs> and they all have this like little underground called the dirty mind and they're in in some ways they're trying to like fight the power in some ways they're just like trying to fucking survive right. and like asking the man to like leave them alone and the, but the man won't leave them alone because that's, again, like stories, uh, story engines, a lot of them run on, on conflict. When I say the comic is so beautiful, it's so beautiful to look at. And then um, I, I feel like you've already worked out so many of, many of these fantasy worlds and within like BDSM, like that's all about conflict as well and story arc and everything. And I can see like just the opening scene of this sex party like kind of leader of the party looking down on their their beautiful world that they've created and what it means to the individuals it's it's so rich I think because you have been working these things out for so long and in so many different a variety of ways and with so many different people well I do want to quickly shout out um the art team of safe sex because uh i am not a visual artist so one of the things that's cool about working in comics is that i write scripts and be and with this comic in particular i'm the creator so i'm kind of ultimately um the person who decides like the business direction and the creative direction of the world and the characters um but then so much of what the comic is in terms of authorship is a collaboration with all of the different artists that I've worked with. So like the most recent volume, we had like a really amazing team of G. Romero Johnson did the the inks and sort of the pencils and storyboards um, and so much character design. Um, and then Kelly Fitzpatrick did the colors and um, Lauren McCubbin did all of the design of the entire book. And Steve Wands um, did the, the letters and Tula Lote did the cover. So it really does become like this 
big aesthetic collaboration. Um, that's one of the most rewarding things about making comics. So what, um, what else have you got going on? What's going on with your podcast? Why are people into that? So why are people into that is my sex, kink, gender, and love podcast, a conversation show much like this one. Uh, I've been doing it since 2013, totally indie. I produce it. I host it. I love doing that show. A year and a half ago, I decided to put it on hiatus because I was working on Safe Sex, the comic book, also signed with a major literary agent who was interested in commissioning a book version of the podcast. And so, yes, we, uh, my agent and I sold that book. Congratulations. Can say with a lot of confidence that why are people into that? The podcast will be back in 2023. I really love doing it. I really want to. I really miss it. There are so many people, including the people on this podcast that I've been like, you know, I want to do episodes around. We would love to be on it. Oh, yes. Well, you're invited. But so the show will be back and the um, why are people into that? The book will probably be out in 2024. It takes a long time to write and then like produce a book. Um, and yeah, and then hopefully I'll also have the space to work on volume three of Safe Sex, uh, the sci-fi comic. And in the meantime, just like I'm trying to like teach classes remotely on various platforms and maybe trying to figure out how to do that on my own platform on my website, which is tinahorn.net. And uh, yeah, and then just trying to like eat well and sleep a lot and listen to records and um hike in this beautiful place that we live and go to the ocean and sit in hot springs and and fuck and come and be and beat 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 people's asses black and blue as much as possible and yeah living the dream <laughs> good for you I love all that for you. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. I feel like I personally got a lot out of it, and I, I hope our listeners did too. Yes. 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 I feel like my butthole has relaxed a little bit. Like, I'm like, okay, I know it is okay to talk about I'm this. out here making asses black and blue and buttholes more relaxed, and, you uh, know, I'm just I'm trying to be a human poppers um <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing you're doing yeah. a great job yeah we love it thank you so much and i admire what the work that both of you do so much and i'm so glad to have you both in my life and out in the world changing the world in the ways that you are and i'm excited to continue figuring out what kind of mischief we can make together yeah yeah, yeah. let's get into trouble <laughs> all right sarah how are you feeling i know you were tense at the beginning how are you feeling now after the conversation i feel better i mean i think you know over the course of the conversation i noticed myself relaxing and I think mm -hmm. that once we made it over, like we knew kind of going in that we wanted to ask Tina about, you know, how do you engage in this kind of play without inherently perpetuating or glorifying violence, abuse, 
oppressive dynamics that are just so present in our society. And so I think like once we kind of like got over the hump of that question, I started relaxing. And Mm -hmm. I mean, also, I just... I love being reminded like what smarty pants we're surrounded by. Like there were just so many times yeah. in that conversation where I was like, oh, and when I say smart, like I mean emotional intelligence too, you know, like her breadth exactly. of knowledge around the theory, but also the practice is just so evident. And so I felt I, you know, I feel like she's really handling this with care in her own uh, professional and personal life. And that that's just really nice to model that you can like, like you said at the beginning, be such a deeply kind and thoughtful person. Yeah. And still really want to explore these shadow sides of ourself, these shadow desires in a way that's expansive. Yeah. And, you know, I think we were going into it looking for the hard answer of how do you do this? How do you know that like a true kind of consent, a heartfelt consent is being given? How do you know you're not going to hurt someone? And the answer is kind of, well, I mean, it's all a personal creative process and there is no hard answer to that. We have to look into ourselves with these questions about almost any aspect of our lives and really engaging with the people that we're playing with in a way that we can feel like there's the trust there, but ultimately just holding space for people's uh, desires and intentions and, and, and seeing how we can match those up with our own is kind of a really simple answer that's also there's no hard line to how to do this you know I mean there's there's these rules that we're trying to come up with in each like kind of new generation of kinksters Mm. and it's not that the goal post is moving it's just that the answers are so individualistic you know yeah and being okay um being more okay in the gray areas yeah I mean, I think that that's like so much of what this time is about is moving away from the binary. Right. You know, in in all kind of ways. One of the things that I did um, that really was uh, I had a bunch of light bulbs going off and I felt like I could have asked her a bajillion questions Mm -hmm. to go deeper into this. But then we would have had like a three part episode. (laughs) But her approach of thinking about BDSM is like a three X structure yeah and that like um negotiation ahead of time the inner scene communication and then the aftercare um and the debriefing and stuff the tenets of storytelling yeah and then also that like sometimes the why doesn't actually really fucking matter and i i liked i was like oh this really relates just to my own personal life like there's so much work that you do as to like why am I this way or like why is my partner this way or what is the root and it's like actually it you only need to have the answer to that if it helps to drive the story forward yeah yeah you know like if you if you're thinking about if you're applying this like like this overlay of like storytelling onto play which I think is 
so I mean that is what we're doing, right? Yeah. We're creating an arc in um, BDSM play. Then suddenly, sometimes it can be actually quite more intriguing. Yeah, to not have all of those motivations sorted and liberating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I feel like this time talking to Tina really like um, that sense of what you're describing is like. Does it help you to get free? Right. Um, yeah. You know, I hope that uh, there's been some permission given. Exactly. I was about to say this. This is a through line. Permission given to express these kind of dark side fantasies or shadow fantasies. Um, and permission given to also not consent to them. You know, it's all mm-hmm. what's going to what's going to feel good to you. And maybe sometimes we choose things that we think will feel good and then they don't. And, and withdrawing that consent then at any point and coming up with something else that might feel better to you. Even if you don't have it all worked out, why it feels good to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was fantastic. I feel like I, I learned some things or maybe I just softened a little bit yeah yeah your butt relaxed a little bit I'm really happy for you (laughs) we all need softer anuses now and again yeah well if uh if everyone can find Tina at uh tinahorn.net she is teaching some really interesting classes so I encourage folks to um check those out we are always available at Fuck yeah Pod on Instagram and TikTok. And you can email us at fyapod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your questions. Like we said in the last episode, we are going to do a Q&A episode soon. Mm-hmm. So now is the time to get your question featured in that episode. And I just am so happy to do this with you, Robin, each week. I feel great about it. It's it's really um, been made a big impact on my life in a positive yeah, way. Me too. I like this me time too. we spend together and with the listeners. I hope you're enjoying it also. Um, and let us know. We want to hear your questions. And until next time. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Bye. Knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by She, Her, Sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.